Compete to win real money playing your favorite games. On World Winner, you can enter cash tournaments in a ton of titles like Solitaire, Scrabble Cubes, Wheel of Fortune, and more. They prize out more than $250,000 every single day, and they just launched Angry Birds Champions. So now, for the first time ever, players can compete for cash in Angry Birds. Here's how it works. You can choose from a bunch of different tournaments and even practice with free warm-up games. Plus, you'll get matched with opponents of similar skill. Play online at worldwinner.com or download the World Winner iOS app. It's free to sign up. Check out the link in the bio and be sure to use promo code ANTI to get up to $20 in free game credits with your first deposit. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's March 30th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, you're back. I'm back, yes. But you're going back out again. You, you, you don't, I'm going this, back out again. It's like the old days. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Waxing nostalgic. Come home, feed the kids, kiss the wife, do some laundry, get back on the road. Don't mix those <laughs> two up. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm sure Laura would be happy if I fed her. And F- feed Laura and kiss the cats. cats? I guess that makes sense. Yeah. You I could do it. that. It's not not as bad as, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I clean, the, come clean the cat's litter box and kiss the wife. <laughs> Kiss the cats and clean the wife's litter box. Uh, I think I was going with shake your hands and kiss babies because if you do the opposite, that's pretty bad too. Yeah, that's okay, it. there you go. <laughs> uh, but no, so it was an exciting weekend for Annie. For the first time, we had dueling Annie up. I hate to say dueling, that's wrong, but yeah. uh, two Annie up poker tour championship events going on at the same time. Uh, fortunately, I'm two sides of the country, so uh, did not cannibal each other, but. Right. Uh, um, uh, they ended it the same weekend, one day after each other, which was very exciting, at the Quiva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix. Alex Flores locked up uh, first place money in a multi-way deal and then won the playoff of the championship. And then at Pearl River Resort in Mississippi, where I was, Jake Seal talked his way through the final table, eventually earning the title after a 2-8-ICM deal and what was the only real chop discussion of the final table. And that's the first thing I want to start with here. Okay. I've been covering a lot of these final tables um, for the Antioch Tour. And almost always, in fact, I'm, I'm racking my brain uh, to think of one where there was never a discussion of a deal made ever, right? It's just the world we live in now, right? Yeah, right. And uh, as I was watching this final table, my you know, player would get knocked out. It didn't go very quickly. It went at, at probably the proper pace for a final table. Um, but as everybody get one person got knocked out, the next person got knocked out, there was never a discussion that I heard. Of a deal. Now there might have been whispers between each other. I just didn't hear, or you know, during the breaks in the bathroom, there might have been something, but I don't think so. Um, and I was like, "Wow, this is really cool. They're actually going to play this out, and it's not going to take so long." So I get some sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, and then uh, when they were three-handed, uh, eventually the, the two people that ended up heads up uh, and the player that ended up finishing second after the deal uh, did very quickly mentioned to the eventual champion, hey, do you want to do ICM chop? And he said, no, not now. 
And then when they got heads up and they played for a little bit heads up, then he's like, hey, do you want to talk about ICM again? And then they got the numbers out and they end up making it, it happen. So part of me was like hopeful that they could just play this out and then I could actually say for the first time I covered a final table that actually ended in a real champion. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the old school way. Um, it didn't quite work out that way, though. I imagine um, Jake would have won anyhow. He was um, uh, definitely playing better and had a lot of chips. But I thought that was interesting that we finally got to a point where it, it was down after several hands of heads up play before we actually got a real chop discussion. You know, we talked about uh, kicking it old school earlier in the show. It sounds like it's uh, kicking it old school at the tables, too. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. I mean, you, I, I, that's the thing is I really don't know what was practiced in like the mid 70s and 80s did those guys do that too i mean they all they all understood yeah, the numbers might. so they must have done something like that too where they made some sort of deal but when you're it's funny because poker is really the only thing that i've ever that i can recall where people do that like you don't see like john McEnroe and bjorn borg going up to the net and saying all right we'll split the prize fund and just play for the trophy right i, I don't think that happens i think that they play for the money I, you know it it's weird. I, I don't know. I know I dated myself there, but I was trying to... Well, but, you know, that's an interesting point in this because... Um, and and we, we've talked chop, I think, what, last week or the week before on the show about um, uh, whether players should be able to chop on a TV thing, right? Right, right. Um, and I, I think the sentiment that we share, and probably a lot of players share, is we understand why players do this because, you know, you invest a lot of time and your money, and now you're playing for big money, and you don't want chance to... Um, uh, take away from that so you, you lock up what you think is a fair deal at that point and then if you play out something else for something else that's great um and all that makes sense right but but the point you bring up both with golf and tennis uh where where there is an entry fee and there's a lot of money on hand uh at, at the end and people play a lot of time put a lot of time into it right yeah um and you know and there might be an argument that there might be more skill in there because you don't have like the luck of the cards that we have in poker but you know uh you know, a seagull could fly, and your ball, golf ball could hit a seagull by accident, right? Yeah, uh, land in a divot. I've written a column about that, where there yeah, is there yeah. is bad luck in golf too. So there is bad luck in all those things that could affect that, but uh, this is just not done. And maybe it's because going back to the discussion we had a couple of weeks ago, maybe it's because these events are all on TV, and the the people that paid a lot of money to have the rights to broadcast us on TV, and then therefore sold a lot of ads. Uh, are not going to go for that, right? And maybe that's the change that we need um, to get it away from poker, if we do need a change. But it is, it is an interesting discussion, I think, still. Yeah, and I was just talking about the, the standard chops. Like, you know, you don't see Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi, I'm working my way up the decades, uh, going <laughs> to the net beforehand and saying, all right, look, you know, we'll split the money because anything could happen. We could have a bad line judge, you know, you could twist an ankle, whatever. So, but we'll play for the trophy. Whoever wins wins the trophy and the title, and that'd be like, yeah, I'd be happy with that, you know, or whatever. You don't you don't hear about those things, and those things are just legit. Those have nothing to do with, you know, giving up the title like the guy did in the other one, the WPT one, where he just folded, folded, folded after he raised or whatever. That that is sort of that's like Agassi double faulting intentionally every time he's to turn to serve, and that people would boo the shit out of him. You know, that's not right. So in this case, yeah, I, I I'm I'm really impressed that these guys. Pretty much played it out. Now, was it was it uh, a case where they didn't really have a chance to really make a deal because they just yeah, got I mean, it in and stuff, or was there some actual play? Yeah, they could have. They, they, I, the, there's nothing stopping them from making a deal. I don't think there was anything about the play that was any different. Um, 
I think maybe the only thing you could point to was that there was always a chip leader, obviously, um, throughout it. But for the most part, m- most of the other players were about equal in chips, maybe. Uh-huh. So, you know, in, you know, I think when you're equal in chips, you're probably less likely to do a job because, you know, everybody's about the same right now. So you might as well play it out and see what happens. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that, but yeah, I was uh, thinking the other way around. Actually, I was thinking, hey, we're all pretty much even. Let's just fucking, you know. Oh, jeez, did I just say that? <laughs> I swore on our show. We're going downhill now. Oh no, we're going downhill. Now I gotta check that little thing that says use profane language or not. I always say no. Now I gotta say yes. <laughs> um, but you know, usually when they're even like that, a lot of them are just like, hey, you know, we're all even. You know, we can lock up. You know, whatever. Sometimes that happens too. Yeah. So I think it well, can fall either right. way. I think you're right. Like three or four handed when people are all equal. That's that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Because then the blinds are really high at that point, and now it's a lot more luck. But um, I guess my point is when it's like seven or eight or nine handed, and everybody's—I want to say—they're playing deep, but they were playing deep enough that there was still a lot of skill left involved. Um, you know, you're at that point, you're just not motivated. Um, and there always was like a really short stack too. Um, you know, I think you'd always want to wait for that one short stack to get knocked out, right? You don't want to, you, it, I, I, everything's changed now because they've got the ICM deal. So uh, yeah. it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. You know, when you did, you know, straight chops, you would never want to cut that guy with three big blinds in <laughs> on your money. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, um, but maybe they just, uh, it, again, a lot of it's timing too, I think. I mean, uh, they brought back 40 players in this event and started at one o'clock. And I think by like five thirty, five or five thirty, we made it to the final table. Nice. Um, so you know, it wasn't late. You know, some a lot of these deals are like, you know, hey, it's two in the morning, and we know we got three more hours of play in the way we've been playing, and we don't want to stay up all night. So let's make a deal. I mean, at five thirty, when you've only been playing for a couple hours, uh, you know, you're far less motivated, I think, at that point to make a deal, and, yeah. and until you get to the point where you feel like. You know the blinds are the point where you're you're much more susceptible to luck than you are skill, right? But, yeah, yeah. So that might have been part of it. I don't know, or maybe these people just like to play. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I like that. So yeah. you you were a couple of times you were determined to not chop some things. I remember, right? You were like, I really want to play this out. I don't want to chop. I come here, I get this one chance to play. I want to play and see how I do and everything. And that and that yeah, can be I'm, motivating them too. I'm generally anti-chop, you know, unless, like I said, unless it gets to the point where the I don't feel like we're playing poker anymore, then at that point, obviously, happy to chop. But yeah. we, I still feel like we're playing poker. I want to play. I mean, I, I want to win. Yep. And, you know. Cool. But, um, so the opposite thing happened in Arizona. Obviously, I wasn't, I couldn't be in two places at once. So our, um, our director of sales, Chris Cronin, was running the event out there. And uh, I think that deal was I put multi. Well, I forgot to check. It was seven or eight, I think. Seven or eight handed. They came up with a deal, um, an interesting deal too. So they locked up first and second place money for those two players, um, and then played it out for the uh, the cover and the seat at the um, 2018 Antioch World Championship at Thunder Valley. Yep. And uh, ended up being the same guy that locked up first place money got that too. So that always works out well too. I think uh, at least from a media standpoint, it's always nice to you know crown the actual champion other than nothing looks weirder in our magazine than when i have to write put out the results that the guy who won made seven grand the guy who lost made 12 yeah (laughs) it just looks weird you know the guy's like uh, a million chips and he's like all right well i gotta have first place money and they're like all right you can have it we're gonna play for the trophy in the seat and like okay 
And then a guy who says, one, period, Chris Casenza, seven grand, two, period, Scott Long, 12 and a half grand. I'm like, how's he, how's he win 12 and a half grand and finish second? But, you know, you collapse when I, I outplayed you when we went heads up. So that's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's always nice when the guy who gets the most money wins the, the seat in the in the magazine cover too. Yeah, and uh, two two excited champions of the communicating with them both. Obviously, I interviewed Jake when he was out there. Um, I'll tell you, Jake at the um, uh, Pearl River uh, was one of the most interesting champions I've ever had to cover at one of our events. He he was there. He was just honestly there to have a good time. And he drove all the way from Texas, and uh, obviously was a very good player, um, but just enjoyed himself. And um, he had uh, my favorite part of the final table. Uh, they might have been down five-handed at this point, and the uh, cocktail waitress came by, and he's like, are you going to be servicing this table the rest of the tournament? <laughs> and she was like, I think so. <laughs> and he gave her a $20 bill, and she's like, he's like, Never let me be without a maker's mark in water. <laughs> yeah, she never did. It was so funny. Um, and uh, he just he loved to talk, and it was to the point that we were all laughing the whole time. Um, you know, I, I I think his opponent who ended up you know doing the deal at that point uh, might have been a little annoyed, but it was hard to tell. I think he was probably enjoying it a little bit too. But the rest of us were really enjoying it. And just made it really fun. I mean, it would have been a really good TV table uh, <laughs> to have him on there. Um, yeah, but uh, this Alex out in uh, Phoenix, very, very excited. Because, um, again, this is the first time that Viquiva has done any kind of tournament. Um, uh, $300 buy-in. They didn't do a series. They just did the one event uh, but four flights. And it just crushed it. Uh, I think they meet, met the guarantee, like, early in the second flight. Yeah. And- was gravy after that so everybody out there was very excited you know first time you never know what to expect so uh, they knocked it out of the park there and they're looking forward to doing more with us so we're very excited about that and then uh pearl river always has this uh, tortoise mentality they're always slow and prodding but they get there right so you know they're they're only i think 25 entries going into day two of the of the main event and then still easily um uh, exceeded the guarantee um with a big uh third flight um, and uh, they just keep getting people to come up there on the weekends. So we'll be back out there uh, October 25th and November 4th will be the Pearl River Poker Open, uh, and that'll be another NTF tour event, and then uh, hopefully we'll be scheduling a repeat visit to Viquiva very soon. But uh, other than that, our next two events will be at Thunder Valley Casino Resort. Uh, they're going to be combined. So almost the entire month of July will be at Thunder Valley. Uh, two opportunities to get on the cover during July. And um, one will be the NorCal Classic, which we always have. But that's just uh, one of the – kind of got folded into the World Championship this year, which is really big. And then the World Championship will be the end of that month with a half a million guarantee for the first time. So very excited about that. So. Do you have any nails left? I, I was assuming that maybe when that those two guarantees were on one weekend, you were biting your nails a lot. Uh <laughs> Especially when you were there when it was only 25 people, and then you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. You know? But we made it, like we always do, so that's really good. All right, uh, Virtue Poker's three-year odyssey to online play is getting closer, as the poker site has announced that it will begin selling a limited number of tokens on April 25th. The site, which has Dan Coleman, Brian Rast, and Phil Ivey signed to sponsor pros, will use blockchain technology that is fueling the rise of cryptocurrency. Players will never deposit money on the site, and the random card shuffler will not resign on any one hackable network. So the site believes it will be able to avoid uh, many of the problems that have plagued other online poker sites. 
U.S. players will not be invited to play until Virtue is assured that its site meets U.S. laws. So what's interesting about this is, is uh, they're really kind of reinventing how online poker is done. Now, there have been sites that have done uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, right? Mm-hmm. But they've all been deposited, so you still have to deposit your cryptocurrency on there. Uh, here they use these, uh, this blockchain technology, so your your money is always... Uh, it, it's a little confusing. We get Brent Filburn back on the show <laughs> to describe it at some point, but um, you're essentially loaning it to the site, and so it's the, never deposited there, so no one can, um, you know, run off with it like happened with Full Tilt um, or these other sites. Um, and then, of course, people are always worried about the the shuffler, and um, you know, when it's on one site, if you get a really good hacker, you know, from Russia or not from Russia, but most likely from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> To figure it out, then they can um, they they can really play havoc with it. Or the whole 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 card. The problem we had with um, uh, was ultimate bet, ultimate right? Bet, yeah, yeah. So um, so there are there are lots of things to like about this. Um, and um, from my standpoint, actually, you know, I read a couple articles about it this week, and um, they're very slow and prodding. You know, a lot of these people getting into this online poker business, and they they want to change the world overnight, right, and make their money right away. Mm-hmm. These folks have taken a long time to get to where they are now, and even the rollout that they have coming up is very slow. So, like I said, there's very limited number of tokens you can buy, and that'll get you, allow you to play a limited amount, so they can really work out the bugs. And then after that, then they'll invite some more people to um, participate, and uh, until they get all up and running to the point that they feel comfortable running the site they want. So, um, from the little bit I know about them, I'm actually kind of rooting for this. I'm hoping it works out because I, I think it's a whole different way of looking at this um and then also being cautious with u.s players as well too so there's not happy for those of us in the u.s that want to play but um but you know they want to be sure that this site continues and doesn't get shut down or draws unwanted scrutiny right well i'm glad you had a lot to say about it because i don't really have anything to say about it <laughs> you don't have anything to say about it i really don't i mean I, I i'm happy that they're working on a process that will make it secure for players and that they're going to be thorough with it so that when it finally gets to us and the core of our listeners are mostly in America, that we'll be hopefully, you know, safe in that environment. Um, I, I But at this point, it's just so far away, it seems like, for us. I don't know. Um, but uh, I still don't understand it all. I had Brent explain <laughs> it, and I, I still don't get it. So uh, I guess I'm just too old. Well, I've started to really wrap my head around the blockchain, which is really the basis of cryptocurrency and um, all the things that, that go on with that. And a lot of the blockchain has been used before cryptocurrency. Crypto just is, is really you know, taking it to a new level. So that part of this I've always been a fan of and understand and think it's good. It's the it's the cryptocurrency part that, that um, has always had me worried because it seems very simple to those that are doing it because it's deregulated and – but that's the problem. It's because it's deregulated, um, you know, folks that want a piece of it and who happen to be the people who regulate <laughs> um, are can put up blocks to it. And that's what we started seeing. So that's why that, that gets so volatile in the market. Yeah. But the actual behind-the-scenes technology of the blockchain is actually really fascinating and very stable, I think. It's just a matter of how you make that work outside of the cryptocurrency, if you can. So. Yeah. Hey, any updates? We have three more Annie Up Poker Cruises coming up this year, and there's still time to book our nine-night sailing to Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao on April 13th out of Miami. It's coming up quick, though. In July, we'll be sailing from Tampa to Cuba, and in October, from Tampa to Cozumel. 
Passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to advanced poker training and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more info, visit anyupcruises.com. And we're we're starting to put together our 2019. We're hoping that yeah, we put in a uh, short wish list, and now we're hoping uh, to hear back. Uh, but a couple of exciting options on there, so I hope yeah. we don't get uh, kicked in the teeth like we always do. <laughs> yeah, if we get them, we'll be uh, pretty excited about it. Uh, also, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Annie Up in your home area, apply at annieupmagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have an immediate opening in the Northeast, so check that out. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. Jason Grimes in the house today. Says we're in a two five no limit hold'em game with a button straddle to ten. So Chris and Scott aren't in this game, obviously. They're, no, 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 they're over in the corner with the kitty games down the street. <laughs> Under the gun plus one has a stack size of seven hundred and opens to thirty five. This player has been at the table three or four hours and has opened a variety of hands in all positions. Under the gun plus two has a stack size of a thousand and raises to a hundred. This player has been at the table one or two hours and has three bet against the under the gun plus one player two to three times. Cutoff has a stack size of 800 and raises to 300. This player has also been at the table three or four hours and has three bet once or twice all day, but never four bet. It folds to the original opener, the under the gun plus one, who thinks for a minute or so. Then they do that thing where they lift up their cards and shrug. A look at this hand I'm going to fold here move. The player uh, they show the hand to is under the gun plus two, uh, who eventually folds. The dealer asks the cutoff, does he want to see the hand that was folded? Under the gun plus one hand has shown ace of diamonds, king of diamonds. Under the gun plus two looks at his own hand and then looking at the cutoff says, how can you have aces or kings? Under the gun, plus two, eventually shrugs and folds ace of spades, king of hearts, face up. As the cutoff scoops the pot, he shows ace of clubs, king of clubs. How do you evaluate each player, uh, how each player played uh, their ace-king hand? It's funny, this is almost a hand of the week. Yeah, it could have gone either way when it came in. And, um, you know, we have a lot of hands of the week, so I'm like, and we're kind of low on listener spotlights. So I thought it would, it would be a more interesting discussion about what happens when three players have essentially the same hand. And um, and I think that's what, what Jason was looking at here. Um, and I would say my immediate response was this just shows the power of being in position and the power of aggression in, in position, right? I, I also think that everyone played it exactly the way they probably should have played it. Uh, and here, the reason why I say that is, okay, so if you have ace-king and you're under the gun plus one, the other gun folds, and you have ace-king suited, you're going to raise with it. And it's a straddle, so you're going to raise roughly three and a half, four x probably, maybe more, but he raised 35. That makes sense. Second guy looks at it, doesn't really believe that guy because we were told that he plays a variety of hands in all positions. So when he looks down at ace-king, he's like, you know what, I don't really believe this guy. Now I'm further into the, the round so right. I, you know, I, I have a really strong hand. So he re-raises, um, and he's been doing that to this guy a bunch because he knows this guy will probably fold. He's three-bet him at least two, three times, according to Jason. So he played it probably right. Then the cutoff looks down and says, you know what? I've been watching these two guys do this all night. 
I've got a suited ace king. I don't believe them. I think if I make it 300, they know I can't fold with only 800 in front of me, with only 500 left that they shove. And they're not. So they must know I'm going to have a really big hand. I can play this as aces. And if not, I still got a suited ace king. So I'm going to four bet. And I've never four bet, so I'm relying on my uh, reputation here. Yeah. So it just seems like it went according to plan. And it's, it's interesting they all had the same hand, but it's exactly what you probably would do with that hand. Some people would just call. The other the gun two might have just called, and then the, the cutoff raises, and then maybe because the, only, the other guy only called, he didn't raise as much, so maybe he gets another call out of it. But really, that's what the guy's been doing under the gun plus one all day, and he doesn't believe him all day. And he's got an ace-king in front of him. It's probably the move he's going to make. And then the cutoff says, hey, I'm going to bet 300, which is the right bet to make, and it's almost half my stack, so you know I'm not folding if you come over the top, so I must have a hand. So you're all going to get that impression and play my reputation. So it... it to me, it was pretty standard. Well, yeah, and then I think the way that the hand finished was the same way, right? Because if you're on a gun plus one, you're like, what did I step myself into? And that's why it was, like, disgusted and did this, hey, look what I'm going to fold here, which we hate. We talked about last week. Yep. <laughs> you could fold it and tell someone they're going to believe you, right? Um, so, that, you know, he obviously has to get out of the way. And then, you know, a lot of ways, the third player was the squeeze on this, right? And so the guy in the middle is now like, oh, my gosh, what am I up against? And so I unfortunately had to fold, particularly now after he saw that two of my outs are gone, right? Yep. Um, even though he, now he says, now he has to try to wonder what the other guy had because it's much less likely that has aces or kings because of that. And then, of course, the last guy then scoops the pot. So, you know, uh, but again, because he had advantage of position and he chose to be aggressive with it. Whereas, you know, again, I often would probably just call one of these raises and I mean, this is probably a week in my game, but it actually worked out for him. Now, obviously somebody had aces or Kings here. Um, the cutoff would have been in trouble because as you mentioned, he was probably pot committed or pretty close to pot committed here. Yeah, and yeah. was going to have to go now. Fortunately, he had the added benefit as small as it is of being suited. So he had some other options there, but, um, you know, he, he, he may not, he's probably not going to win this pot outright if he just calls that $100 raise, right? Um, you know, unless he hits his flush um, or something else goes on during the hand. So, you know, he ended up locking up, you know, 135 plus the blinds there, so, and the straddle. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, he had to risk 300 to do it, so <laughs> there's an argument for that, but it just shows, you know, how, how important, to me, it just shows how important position is, yeah. so. If you're playing a lot of hands out of position, you lose this benefit here. And if you're playing more hands, even if they're not as strong hands in position, um, you're going to do better. So It's yeah. funny that under the gun plus two, after seeing the ace-king and knowing he has ace-king, says, how can you have aces or kings? It's funny. If I had seen that ace-king, knew I had ace-king, I would have said, you're doing this with queens? That's what I would have said. Right. I, I don't think he, I don't think he, I mean when when the play was happening you thought he had aces or kings but then when you saw an ace king and you know you have ace king my comment wouldn't have been you have aces or kings which is still is possible I mean mathematically obviously you can still do it um, how many times have we seen aces versus aces you know it just it happens so um, but yeah I would have thought queens at that point I would have been wow you have queens I still wouldn't have taken a flop with it or wouldn't have shoved or whatever with ace king knowing two of my outs were out at least but. Just interesting that he, he thought aces or kings even after seeing an ace and a king. But anyway, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was pretty standard the way it went went through, given the history of these people and and the like you said the position. That was pretty standard. Yeah, I don't, it's it's not very often I think that I see the same hand three times in the same. Hand. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I see like aces, kings, and queens, which is always pretty amazing to me. But 
you know, three aces kings. I mean, two of them were suited, but essentially the same hand. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Kyle Phobe. We were playing 1-3 Nolan Hold'em in a Maryland casino. Everyone is dealt into the hand except for the button. There are two callers, and as I look down at my hand, the small blind notices he has three cards. One is sitting away from the other two that he was first dealt. The dealer mistakenly dealt him a third card. Well, obviously. Uh, <laughs> the, the floor is called and rules <laughs> that the small blind's hand is dead, but action continues because two people called. I agree with all that, but here's where it gets dicey. So the dealer mucks the three cards, and the floor says to put out a burn and a flop. I disagreed, saying that just a flop should be put out because one of those cards is the burn. So I make him call a second floor, and that floor agrees with me. I'm wondering, who was right about the burn card, and did the small blind's hand ever have to die? Elliot says, everything in this situation was ruled correctly by the supervisor. There were two calls before anyone noticed, uh, any, anyone was notified of the air. And that cemented the action and prevented a misdeal. The hand with too many cards was declared dead and play continued. So far, so good. The dealer was then instructed to burn and place the flop. There was no need to compensate or correct for an extra card being off the deck. The purpose of the burn card is to protect the deck and not to preserve card order. Card destiny is false and non-existent. All unseen, unused cards are random and doesn't affect the game in any way by burning the top card from the deck. But to answer your last question, the first supervisor was right, and you and the second supervisor were wrong. Awesome. We actually <laughs> well, used we actually awesome used this letter in our, our current issue, too, so uh, make sure you pick up a copy of that, Kyle. You get to see your name in print. Hey, we got a brand new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing a garden variety, $1, $2, No Limit Hold'em casino cash game. We bought in for 200 and currently sit with 130 We've been card dead for most of the night, and with one exception of trying to make a move with king-queen, we've been folding preflop almost all night. We've been playing for roughly four hours. The blinds post. It's folded to an MP who makes the call. It's folded around to us, and we're in the cutoff with, you guessed it, king of spades, queen of hearts. A lot of people would maybe raise here, especially to get the button out, but I'm going to take a conservative approach and just call. We get position, and both blinds call, as we see the flop with about $8 in the pot. The king of diamonds, queen of diamonds, seven of diamonds comes down. The small blind and big blind check, but the MP makes it $5 to go. This player has had an up and down night, and he likes to gamble. He chases draws and can be an aggressor. We've seen him turn over one nut hand and one bluff, but he does overvalue his hands and oftentimes will call players down with second pair. Most of his showdowns have been a pair or worse. These I don't categorize as bluffs since he thought he had the best hand, and sometimes he did. He started the hand with 160. One thing we noticed with the all-diamond flop, he immediately looked at his cards before betting the $5. This is a textbook case of a player only having a single diamond in his hand and is not suited. 
I'm really not too concerned with the flop, and I think with the blinds not seeming too interested, and the fact that we have top two, we're going to raise. We make it $15 to go. The blinds fold, and the MP thinks for a short time before calling. There's around $35 in the pot, and the turn is the tray of clubs. Our opponent makes it $25 to go. So, a call leaves us with about 90 left. If we want to raise, we'll be putting in a significant portion of our remaining stack. Does your opinion change knowing our opponent will run it more than once? What's the move? It's time for advancedpokertraining.com's Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Uh, this one comes from a new submitter, Craig Smith. And uh, he says uh, the game is 1-3, no limit hold'em. And he said, uh, I'm sad to say there's a bad beat jackpot, which, of course, I've funded but never hit. Seems to always hit on Wednesday nights, which is not a day I'm able to play poker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's also a poker pyramid game, which is a punch card, like at Subway or Sport Clips, where once you hit all the hands on the pyramid, you get $25 cash. uh, Or, I guess, a free sandwich or haircut. (laughs) I was wondering what Sport Clips was. I didn't know what that was. (laughs) <laughs> uh, hopefully that's not just a Texas thing. You may be really confused right now. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. The subway thing I get, uh, but the sport clubs never heard of. <laughs> uh, to tick off a box, you have to show down your hand, and one card in your hand must play. The poker pyramid factors in this hand sort of at the end. There's a fair amount of limping in this game, but when there's a pre-flop raise, the size can vary from 6 to $25. I've seen $25 even with no limpers, so it really is all over the place. The limpers will fold on occasion, so it's possible it is possible to narrow the field when raising. Uh, when I sat down, the game had only been going for squiggly 30 minutes, and I bought in for the max of $300. Then I noticed that no one really had a stack much bigger than 150 As the night went on, I realized that most of these players like to just buy in $100 at a time, so eventually there are large stacks. Uh, general player description, he says, ages of the players range from mid-late 40s to 60s. Players in this game are generally loose passive, but that I mean a player will limp call with a lot of hands but not total junk, and very rarely three bet or raise without super premium holdings. They will typically call a bet on the flop and go away on this turn if unimproved. I would say there's only one quote-unquote thinking player in the game that would three bet with something other than ace-ace or king-king. The villain in this hand is uh, more in the loose passive category, but more on the tighter side. I've played with him a few times and have never seen him get out of line. Through the poker pyramid game, I've been able to see he has indeed had the best hands several times he's probably early 50s very fit in fact he's wearing gym shorts and an under armor t-shirt he was also eating dried green beans which was rather annoying because of the crunchy sound because come on green beans <laughs> <laughs> i tried to eat healthy myself but green beans at the poker table is not a line i'm willing to cross the villain will, will be referred to as green bean for the rest of this hand <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my image as a player, I'm in the mid-40s category, jeans, polo shirt, and Aria casino baseball hat for what it's worth. I've not done a lot of limping, but I've joined the limp party a few times. Because of the stack sizes I mentioned, I find myself folding some hands on my other ways play with deeper stacks, uh, such as suited connectors. Regardless, on this night, I've actually been getting some hands, so I've raised a few pots in one, limped along uh, a few pots in one. However, I got uh, to mark off two of my three-of-a-kind poker pyramid spots with two flop sets that were run down by a straight and a flush. Another top uh, two-pair hand was also run down in my straight, so my early gains were lost when this hand occurred. All right, pre-flop. Uh, the effective stacks are $350, because that's what we have. Green Bean and the Thinking Player have more like 600 at this point. We are eight-handed, and it folds to me, 
in the middle position with King of Hearts, Queen of Spades. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll raise. Um, I don't know what the standard raise is at this table. Um, did you say we're playing 1-3? One, 1-2? Three? One, uh, one, three, yes. 1-3, three. Yeah, I mean, I guess 12 bucks, you know, thin the field, take control of the hand. I, I never liked King-Queen, to be nah, honest with you. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to fold it, though. But here's the thing. The, the table's so loose passive here that I'm going, this is a hand that improves my mindset yeah, yeah. at this game, where I normally would fold it in, in most other games. So Yeah, I'll, I'll raise with it to 12. Yep, I think I'm going to standard raise, whatever it is, 10, 12, 13, 15, whatever. Um and that's what our hero does. He raises the 13. Green bean calls and the thinking player on the button calls. Blinds fold. Uh, and he says, I would certainly raise more if there were limpers, but this amount was typically enough to chase out most trash, but leaving hands, I dominate. If either the hands and the blinds three bet, then I snap fold. And if they call, I'm okay playing post flop. The button has three bet me twice when I happened to open with suited connectors and had ace king both times. None of that happened. So I will be out of position for this hand against Green Bean and a thinking player who will three-bet somewhat light but happen to have Ace-King both times he three-bet me. <laughs> we will just call him the button. <laughs> uh, so 40 bucks in the pot after the uh, rake and the big <laughs> bad beat jackpot drop hug. And the flop comes King of Hearts, Queen of Clubs, Four of Spades, Actions on Us. All right, so there's 40 in the pot. It's not really a wet flop. It's a real good flop for us. I mean, yeah, somebody could have, you know, Jack-10 and be open-ended or something, which is always a possibility, especially the way it's played out. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily want to string them along, um, but I certainly want to make a bet that it's strong. I took control of the hand, so I don't know, uh, probably 25, 30 yeah, maybe, kinda, something like that. Yeah, at least a half a pot, but I think it's might go a little bit more, so... I'm fine with 25. Yeah. Um, all right. So here it says, uh, I'm betting here most of the time uh, with my raising when my raising range hits uh, and whiffs draws and uh, checking sometimes the pocket pairs. Uh, no flush draws on board, so I might check these sets. I think Button will bet this flop of check to. I also expect him to call with drawing hands. He's one of the guys that ran down my flop set with runner runner straight. I expect Green Bean to go away if it doesn't connect on this flop. And maybe continue with the strong draw. I bet $25. All right. On. Hey, that's right. good. Green bean calls, button folds. Okay. Uh, so we go to the turn, $90 in the pot, and the turn is the six of spades. So our board now is king of hearts, queen of clubs, four of spades, six of spades. And again, we are first to act. Well, we got top two. The board is getting wetter. There's more in the middle. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily think that that call meant a draw, but it could very well mean he had Jack-10. If he had Jack-10 of spades, we're pretty screwed here on the river, so we really want to take this down now. I'm thinking I might bet like 80 now, to be honest with you. I might just try to shut this down and take down that nice little pot. At least 60 here, but more, uh, I'm comfortable going more just to exercise. I want to bet enough that this guy's like, yeah, I can't draw. And if he's got a real big hand, he shoves, like if he somehow flopped a set of fours, then I'm, I'm probably still committed to this hand. It's a pretty. We got a pretty big hand. I don't think I'm going anywhere. For, and if he shoved on me, there'd be enough in there, I think, to call. So I, I think I think a nice eighty eight dollar bet here would do it. And if it doesn't, you know, we're probably putting it in on the end. If it doesn't 
complete anything. Pyre here says, okay, no straight draws come in, so I'm happy. Uh, Green Bean has something here, possibly a king or queen. Of course, I, I blocked this, but not impossible. Possibly a draw, possibly a pocket pair like jacks or tens. He could have 4-4 four, four, six, six, uh, There's now a spade flush draw, but whatever. I'm probably going to double barrel my drawing hand since I think Green Bean will fold all pairs under king-king, which is a great result if I'm indeed barreling. And will continue with any king hands that beat me, uh, such as sets. And possibly draws. I'm also getting. I'm also betting again for value with my nutty hands. I bet fifty dollars. Mm. Yeah, a little light, I think. That but. might be light. Uh, he says Green Bean takes a while and then calls. He's not really one to ask act fast anyway. Uh, I have seen him uh, take some time and then race before. This time, however, he just calls. Uh oh. Hmm. Well, like I said, he could have picked up a draw there. He could. He could have a set slow playing you because that's a new draw that he doesn't expect you to be hitting. I mean, you could have king of spades, queen of spades, but he's not probably putting you on that. So, you know, he could have a set. Uh, he could have the same hand. Who knows? Um, but in this case, I think I'm going to put the... Uh, I think I think we still think we're ahead. I just feel like we're ahead. I think if he would have raised probably at this point um, if he had us beat. So I think we're in a pretty good spot right now. I think so, too. We'll see what happens. All right, the river is the eight of spades. So our final board is king of hearts, queen of clubs, four of spades, six of spades, eight of spades. And again, we are first to act. Um, you know, it's a pretty big pot already. I'm not deep right now. The only, thing, the only thing that I'd be afraid of is if he shoved after I checked. I don't think he would shove after I check unless he was bluffing. I feel like there's no no reason not to extract value from a made hand here. So if he if if we check to him and he bets any reasonable amount, I'm just gonna call. I'm happy with top two on this. I, I don't think spades got there for him. I don't feel like this guy I mean he he'd have to have the king of spades in his hand or a suited ace blank of spades because he can't have the queen, we have it. So he'd have to have some really weird hand and then call with no pair at all, hoping they hit a backdoor nut flush draw. I just don't see him having a flush here. So I think we're good, but I also don't rule out sets. So because it got kind of scary at the end, I think maybe I check and let him see it's kind of scary if he has a set. Let him maybe value bet, and I call, and if I'm wrong, I got away with the minimum. If I'm right, we got an extra bet out of this guy, and we want a decent pot with king-queen. So I think I might just check call. If he shoves, I got to rethink it, but I, I don't think he shoves. I think he just value bets, and we call. Yeah, I kind of like that. I do feel we are ahead, um, but you know, he could have had like ace-king of spades, maybe, and now... Got the flush there. There's a couple other flush possibilities maybe that wouldn't be as apparent just because of the way the action went. Um, but very likely could have a weaker king than we do or a weaker queen. Yeah. Um, I mean, you certainly have a sets, but you always have to worry about sets. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm cautiously optimistic about this hand. Check and, and um, check call to see what happens. If he checks and shoves... That, that seems like an overly aggressive play, doesn't it? So, unless he's smart enough to think that he can get us that way, 
which doesn't sound like that from based on what we know about him, right? right. So, um, I, you know, I'm probably gonna check, call, whatever. You know, if he if he shoves, it doesn't make sense to me, and I will probably call that and maybe regret it. But if we check and he checks behind and we win this pot, still 190 in the pot. That's not bad for a one three game. Um, and if he, some kind of you know hundred dollar bet and we call, that's great too. So I yeah, I think that's where I'm at now. So. It's funny if he has ace king at the end of his hand. We we had that thing with Jason earlier with the ace kings, <laughs> and we're thinking that if you have ace king, you re-raise somebody who's kind of you know whatever. But this guy wouldn't have done that with the ace king this time if he has it. Um, I just don't put him on ace king. I feel I feel yeah. like he he would have wanted right right. Yeah. It doesn't add up right. Like even when we bet um, after that flop. He knows he's got the button behind him. He probably wants to narrow the field a little. He doesn't raise us when hitting top pair with top kicker. It feels like he might make a raise there with backdoor spades if he had ace-king of spades. So I'm just going to rule that out. Um, but it's possible. You never know what's going to happen in these one-three games. And, and you know, I, again, I know my Achilles heel is jack-10. We keep talking about it. But this this very well could be a jack-10 situation, right? Yeah, you spades. Know, call a raise in position. Um, and then the flop comes, you're open-ended, and the bet's only 25. All right, I'll do that. And then when the turn comes, uh, 50, again, another light bet, you know, and if my hand hits, I'm probably going to get paid off, um, even without the spades. But, yeah, without the spades, definitely, right, at that right. point. Yeah, you're hoping for a nine instead, so it looks disguised, or an ace. No, not an yeah. ace, it might scare somebody. You're hoping for a nine. But, yeah, he's got all kinds of draws now if it's jack, ten of spades. Actually, I would probably prefer an ace because I'm thinking my opponent's on like ace king or something at that point. Now, yeah, maybe, yeah. And then we get better. So, um, so if that's the case, unless it's Jack Ten of Spades, then it's a busted draw, and he's going to have to bluff to win at this. So, um, but well, no, if Jack Ten of Spades got there with the flush. That's the thing. That's why I said if it, unless it was unless it's that. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, all right. Uh, our hero says, honestly, I don't know what to do at this point. Check, bet, backdoor spades got there. However, I have the ace of spades, so I feel queen that's a pretty good blocker. He has the queen of spades. Yep. Uh, five, seven, no, maybe ace, jack of spades. Maybe he had a set the whole time, but ultimately I felt like he had a middling king would make a crying call, so I decided to make a small bet. I bet $50. Green Bean tanks longer than he did when he called the turn bet, then raises to 150 Uh, so 100 more for me to call. Ugh, now I go into the tank. See, that's weird. One, this is why I don't like to put people on specific hands. If if you're putting them on one specific hand, it's going to encourage you to bet. And in this case, I feel like that's the wrong move here. I feel like check, even if it goes check, check, and the guy shows down queen jack and you win a pot, you just won 190. You know, your stack was 300 when it started. You know, 330 or whatever. And to me... Like that's a decent pot, you know. You're opening yourself up to mistakes by betting that amount. To me, if I felt like if you're gonna bet it, you might as well bet strong, because if you bet little, he's got an opportunity now to make you rethink your hand. If you're wrong and you bet a lot, then you're wrong. But in this case, if you're wrong, he's got a chance to bluff you off your hand. You know what I mean? I just feel like you should just check call. There's no way this guy bets 150 on the end, you know, and you might get your 50 out of this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I just feel like that bet of 50 is is a problem. It opens it up to more problems when you're not sure of how this hand went. I mean, you just said, I don't know what to do at this point. 
You don't know what to do, so you bet. I mean, that to me, I don't know what to do. I'm going to bet. That doesn't seem right to me. And bet small too, yeah. I and think then that's small, important. yeah. Where this guy can be like, "Hey, I came around the whole way. It looks like something got there, and now it did get there. I could have been floating you, and with a five seven, I could have, you know, who knows? I don't. That's not a hand he has, but it could have very easily been the same hand. It could have been a set, and you're opening up the betting." Well, just check. Let him make his fifty or seventy-five dollar. Hey, I want to get the most out of this hand. Then you call and you're like, "Hey, I got top two. And the guy's like, "Ah, oh, I got queen jack or I got king jack. I thought you, I thought you missed your straight draw or something, and I wanted to get value or whatever it is. You're playing one three. Generally, people make mistakes. And if he goes check check, big deal. You just won one hundred ninety bucks. You know, I, I I just feel like opening up the betting there when you're not sure what to do is not the thing to do. All right. But that's just how I feel. I, to me, I always check call when I think that these guys have a chance of bluffing at it or, you know, they all of a sudden get emboldened because we check. They think, oh, my king's good now. And it's not. You have king-queen. So top two is a pretty good hand there, but I don't know if it's a betting hand on that river. All right. Let's see uh, what happens. Uh, so, uh, should I bet more or check? call i did not expect this as i'm tanking i try to talk to him you made a flush set of fours not sure what i was looking for just some sign of confidence i guess you really didn't react to anything just sat there huh. uh so i folded so i imagine a deep dive into the numbers makes this a call i've played a lot of low limit one two one three games and in general if you're raised on the river without the virtual nuts uh, you are then you are beat. I don't know. Maybe it was a little more history with Green Bean I could have called, but as played, I just gave him credit. Maybe we had the same hand. Uh, so now I'm waiting for the Poker Pyramid card to come out so he can mark off a flush or trips. Nothing. The card stayed put. Of course, you're not required to check off of a hand if you make it. I asked him if he had a flush, and he said no. Then a little later, he did make trips and marked it off his card. So I said again, you made a flush, didn't you? He said no again. So WTF. <laughs> Well, that doesn't make sense. You you can't get the credit for a hand if you don't show it down. Right. Because exactly. you could just lie all day. I made all the hands. Check them all off for me. Right, yeah. So there's no reason why he would tell you he made a flush because he can't no, get the I card checked. No, but I think the point is that if he made it, then he would have had to show in his hand to... That's what I'm saying. He didn't show his hand, so he didn't make the flush, so that's what he's saying. Well, he right? could have had a flush already marked off of his card. <clears throat> that's true, too. Right. Um, but I guess you can do it more Which than makes once. This- I'm actually a big fan of this promotion. I think it's fun. It keeps you at the table. I mean, I've seen a couple rooms do something similar to this. Um, and, again, it generates – gets money back into the economy and all the things that we like, right? Right. Um, but it does affect play, as we mentioned here. So, you know, the challenge here is knowing – I mean, you have to know what things people have already checked off of their cards and remember that. It's one more thing to add to the information profile you have of your opponents. And that's pretty impossible. You know, I'm sure there's – what, 10, 15 of these hands? A lot of hands, yeah. It took a dozen or something. It's a lot. Um, and so unless the player right next to you, which you can probably keep pretty good tabs on, you're not going to be able to keep tabs on what everybody has at that point. So, uh, But it does give you a little bit more information. So, I mean, obviously it seems to me that uh, the guy bluffed us off his hand or had a hand that wasn't on the pyramid. I mean, I don't know what it starts with. might start with – I'm sure it starts with three of a kind. Um, so he could have had – could have had the same hand we did. Could have had king four, or king eight. You know, one of those hands that we had beat. Uh, but we'll never know now. Um, but it's an interesting bluff if he only raises one hundred on the end, right? Yeah. Yeah. To me, 
it just gave him an opportunity to make you he had you covered to make you think that was a pretty weak bet on the end and I, to me he, he felt like you were a thinking player maybe and maybe he did have a better hand maybe he had the same hand who knows to me though I think he said something about uh, Craig felt that the other guy had a middling king so he bet and I thought well, at first you said you didn't know what to do then you said you felt like you had a middling king but if you go back and think about hands that could have played the way they played from the beginning to the end ace king of spades could have played it this way jack ten of spades could have played it this way pocket fours could have played it this way if you just thought about it for a minute there's three hands there that could have played it this way and you put them on a middling king so to me if you put them on a middling king there's four hands that could have played it this way and only one of them you beat do you really want to bet there yeah you know and i realize the point you made about the the 150 dollars bet the 100 dollars raise in the end is is tough to analyze do you think he's bluffing with only 100 more to go if we're willing to bet 50 on the end this guy only bets 100 more maybe he's banking on that idea that hey only guys who have it raise the river in this level of playing one three one two so maybe he's banking on you being a thoughtful player and and comes through with that or maybe he has the same hand as you and that's another hand we say king queen might play this way and that you don't beat so you've got one and a half hands that you come away with money and you have two to three hands that you don't so three hands at least maybe four if somebody just topped and half pocket sixes and didn't believe you after the flop and called with that middle pair I, I don't know why bottom middle pair i guess so to me i think that 50 dollar bet is just asking for trouble you check he bets 75 you call now you know what he has and you've got a pretty good show hand down for value so i i just think that if there's more than two or three hands that could possibly play it the way it plays i almost never bet unless i have the nuts or something so strong that i'm hoping they have one of those hands but if there are hands that i don't beat on top of it i'm not betting that river especially at one three Yep. Right? Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I maybe it's come fresh off the uh, Indiana Poker Cruise. <laughs> You're very analytical I'm now. I'm a little focused, yeah. Hey, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. anti is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.